0: To Freshly Forever, a podcast that gives you fascinating insights week after week. Here's your host, Vai Kumar. Hey folks, welcome to another episode on Podcast Freshly Forever. Today I have the pleasure of interviewing Divya Alter. She is the co-founder of Bhagavad Life, an Ayurvedic culinary school, and Divya's Kitchen, a very famous ayurvedic restaurant in manhattan she is the author of what to eat for how you feel the new ayurvedic kitchen her transformative healing experience with ayurveda led her to study sv ayurveda and become a certified nutritional consultant and culinary educator it gives me so much pleasure to have you on the show devia welcome
1: Thank you so much for having me, Vai. It's a a pleasure to be here.
0: Okay. For those that know Ayurveda, in fact, even from this own podcast, you know, we have talked quite a bit about Ayurveda. We tend to identify it as, say, a knowledge of life, just simply based on the Sanskrit terminology. Or we tend to say it is one of the most ancient, holistic system of healing originating from India but what about this SV Ayurveda or the Shaka Ayurveda? What is it and how did you, Divya, get initiated into it? And tell us all about your journey.
1: Yeah, so Ayurveda, just like yoga, it's a very ancient science, healing science. And Mm -hmm. it has been transmitted through lineages. So just like there are many different lineages of yoga, Uh different types of yoga there are also different lineages of Ayurveda and one of the main purposes of the lineage is to preserve the knowledge as it is through the changes through the centuries through the foreign invasions (laughs) Uh The history of India is full of invasions and destruction, cultural destruction so thanks to the, and also You have to understand that India, and even before before when it was Bharat, right? When you look at the history of India, the ancient India was much bigger than what it is today, and it included many lands with different climates. So if you compare Ayurveda in South India to Ayurveda as it is practiced in North India, you will find uh, differences Mm -hmm. because... Ayurveda is always applied according to time, place, and circumstance. So whatever herbs, whatever the climate is in the north, uh, the doctors would use different protocols, slightly different herbs. So they would adjust the details while preserving the principles, the main principles uh, presented in the classical text of Ayurveda. So Shakovansiya Ayurveda, stems from, so Vamsha, sometimes it's called Shaka Vamsha. Vamsha means like a branch. And uh, the Shaka Vansya Ayurveda and the Shaka Brahmins are mentioned in Sambha Purana, which is a very old text. And there is a whole story which I will not get into, but it's, it's sufficient to say that this is a very old and authentic lineage of Ayurveda, which mm-hmm. was brought to the West it was brought to the West by Vaidya Ramakant Mishra. So he's my main Ayurvedic teacher. Very fortunate that I met him in this life. And he completely transformed not just my health, but my whole approach to life. And also my occupation. I, thanks to him, I decided to dedicate my life to Ayurvedic culinary education because it's so essential to healing.
0: Oh, how wonderful. And you said it beautifully that time, place and circumstance determines how one even, you know, prescribes or handles or uses Ayurveda. And so there is so much uh, importance to where you are and what you do. So that's just very well said. And I guess today's discussion focuses a lot on using your expertise as you know, a culinary Ayurvedic guru, so to speak. So in terms of (laughs) mix and match, um, when it comes to creating delicious and digestible meals, you also focus on this uh, a lot in your book, What to Eat for How You Feel. And I thoroughly enjoyed reading that book and using that book in my kitchen. So how important, Divya, is food combining? And what are some common you know, good and bad to it when it comes to how we practice it on a day-to-day basis.
1: I'm so, I'm so glad that you enjoy cooking with my book. <laughs>
0: uh-huh. Oh, yes. Um, definitely a lot of insights there.
1: Um, well, you know, food compatibility it, or incompatibility, it's called Virudha Ahara in Ayurveda. Ahara is the word for food or everything that we take in. And Virudha means... Contradictory, incompatible. It's a huge uh, section in Ayurvedic knowledge, not just for food but also for medicines. So for or herb, combining herbs and all that. And it's so important because you may think you're eating healthy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You may think you're eating for your dosha or even or for the season. You may think you're eating healthy, but if you are not applying the principles of food compatibility you experience like a fight in your stomach. These foods will start fighting, incompatible foods will start fighting in your stomach. So a lot of people experience digestive problems. And one of the main reason is incompatible foods. Mm -hmm. And modern nutrition speaks a little bit about uh, food, like our food combining, but it's very limited and it's based on nutrition facts. The Ayurvedic approach is based on taste, on the, the metabolic effect, the virya, the potency that the food has. Um, sometimes you could have incompatibility on the level of healing benefits. So if let's say if if one food or herb is promotes loose motion bowel motion. so if you're constipated, and this food, for example, pineapple, if you eat pineapple when you're constipated you'll be able to evacuate easily, constipation goes away. But at the same time, if you eat millet with pineapple, for example, millet has the opposite property, millet has a very drying property. So millet is great to eat when you have diarrhea. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But if you eat millet and pineapple together, because they have opposing healing benefits, actions in the body, that will be incompatible. So that's just one example. A lot of Uh, people, for example, a lot of incompatibilities related to dairy products. So, for example, milk or heavy cream with with anything sour. So you make strawberry milkshake with dairy milk (laughs) or you you make blueberry pie and you have the whipped cream on top. You know, these are very common incompatibilities. Um, Milk and salt, milk or heavy cream and salt. So let's say you decide to make creamy vegetable soup and you add some heavy cream to it, the salt that you season the soup with will be incompatible with the milk or salt. And I've seen many... So if you regularly consume milk and salt in one meal, Mm -hmm. uh, we're talking about milk, yogurt, cheese, these are completely different products. So just milk and heavy cream. Regular consumption of milk and salt leads to severe skin problems. And I sometimes, when I have time to offer individual nutritional consultations. I see a lot of people with skin issues simply because they include a dairy milk with even having chai Mm -hmm. and with milk and then having their meal, let's say, at the same time that has salt. So there's so many uh, uh, like that. And I list in my first book, What to Eat for How You Feel, I have a whole section about good food combinations and bad food combinations but based on digestion and then in my new cookbook which is about to come out in september this year it's called Mm -hmm. Joy, joy of balance i have a whole very detailed table that you can kind of scan and put in your refrigerator and remind yourself until you remember what to mix and what not to mix. Mm-hmm.
0: I wish September is tomorrow, although there are many days and times when I wish there would be more than 24 hours to a day and I can stop the clock because time just seems to go by so fast.
1: Yeah. Can't
0: really wait for the book. What about um, common things like egg and dairy? A lot of people tend to do that. And then people tend to, you mentioned about strawberry milkshake. People tend to do mango milkshake, avocado yeah. milkshake, and things like that. So, would non dairy alternatives be a good fit there? And what about constantly combining egg and cheese and things like that?
1: Yeah, well, before I answer, let me. There are two main categories of food incompatibility. So, one is combining foods that are too heavy to digest together. Mm-hmm. So, and the other one, category is foods that have almost like a food poisoning effect. So if you drink milk and you drink orange juice at the same time, I guarantee you have diarrhea. It, it will be like, <laughs> you have this, you, you will not feel well, you feel nauseous and you have almost very quick reaction to that. So the egg and dairy, like egg and cheese, egg and yogurt, egg and cream, This falls into the very difficult to digest category. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: The same with with meat and and yogurt. I know there's so many recipes for chicken and yogurt sauce or something, and that's really bad. So when you have, most people nowadays don't have very strong digestive power. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And I've seen cases when eating like egg and dairy or meat and dairy, like it's not kosher, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. It, it causes, it becomes the cause of blood clots that can oh. cause stroke. And people don't relate it to the diet, right? <laughs> like I, I've seen a young athlete in his 20s, very young, strong, very active. He's an athlete ra- exercising, running every day. He, he was having banana and yogurt smoothie and then eating eggs after that. And he had soft blood clots that almost killed him. Oh, no. And nobody could figure out what it was. So the doctor, the Ayurvedic doctor, started asking him, so what are you eating? And he said, well, I have a yogurt banana smoothie every day. It's like, oh, no, that's a really heavy combination, very hard to digest, even for you that are so active and you have good metabolism. So people rarely relate health issues to the food we eat, and especially the food compatibility But a good Ayurvedic doctor, once he examines, you kind of gets not just your health history, but also your diet history. What are you eating Mm -hmm. (laughs) every day for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? How are you eating it? How much are you eating? And so that diet history can also be, give a lot of indications of what the deep cause of the problem could be.
0: Okay, and you said banana and yogurt, and you said he was also having eggs, pretty close to that time frame of having that, you know, that smoothie. Mm -hmm. So are eggs like totally contraindicated when it comes to, you know, like banana? And a lot of people tend to say, practitioners like you or staunch believers in Ayurveda who know the system so well tend to say, eat banana by itself. So what is it that we can emphasize here, Divya, on this show as it relates to banana?
1: Yeah, bananas, so there are different types of bananas, right? There are different varieties of bananas. The most common one that we see in our grocery stores, that are available everywhere, the larger bananas. Mm-hmm. And they're just, I mean, just think, think about how thick they are, how heavy, they're heavy, they're heavy food, they're heavy to digest. In general, for people who have lower digestive capacity, like your appetite is not so strong, you feel tired after your meal, you may get more congested like that. that. These are indications that you don't have strong digestion. So eating bananas, they have a clogging property. They will create more clogging like blockages because you cannot fully break them down.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Vaidya Mishra, my teacher, uh, recommended the baby bananas. You've seen those? Like in mm-hmm. South India, they have them also, the most of the baby bananas. Um, he said they're much easier to digest, but if you, so if you need a banana, like if you feel that you're craving it, then you can get the small ones. But if you have very strong metabolism, you're very active, you have strong digestion, good appetite, then the large bananas will be fine for you. But if you're just sitting all day Mm -hmm. (laughs) and working in front of a computer or something like that, then your metabolism is probably lower. So be careful with the bananas.
0: Yeah, no wonder so many people fall prey to seasonal allergies, right, especially this time of the year, spring, and no one realizes that banana is perhaps a taboo for them.
1: Yeah, and banana banana increases kapha dosha in the body. Uh, it's very grounding, it's heavy, that's why we like it, because when, when your vata, airy, f- energy is so high and you're like, oh, I need something heavy to keep me going, right, it makes you full faster, but it's not a seasonal food for spring. In spring, we need something that's a little more bitter, more pungent. You don't need heavy foods in spring. You need light foods in spring.
0: What might be a good alternative in terms of fruit for spring?
1: Yes, see, spring is kind of hard because it's, especially if you're in the Northern Hemisphere, like California, South is not so bad, but in in the North, you don't have any fruit growing at this time. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: So we're just uh, using the leftover apples and pears, which are predominantly astringent, so they're still good for, for spring season. So I would say, yeah, keep using the apples and pears. I sometimes really, and when the strawberries come in season, hopefully next month we'll start seeing more local strawberries. Mm-hmm. So strawberries, of course, they're very, very good as well the sweet variety of strawberries. Um, But right now it's a little bit like citrus is already out of season. So when you look at seasonal fruit during spring, there is not many varieties.
0: Okay. So I was just going to come to that, you know, eating based on season and geographic location. And you already, you know, kind of gave a prelude to that. What are some other factors that are crucial and often ignored, Divya? Say like temperature of the food. Portion size, all these things does it matter when it comes to food combining and making things right. And do spices have a role to play when it comes to, even with wrong food combinations, can spices alleviate whatever uh, implications that food combining may cause?
1: Yeah, I I can say you're a student of Ayurveda. (laughs) (laughs) Actually,
0: more than a student of Ayurveda, I guess I'm like, uh, you know, having been born in India and lived perhaps my early part of my life in India, I can say, because I have now lived a long time in the States. I think, you know, I've been used to all some of these, at least, you know, here and there, though I may not be the guru of it, or though I may not be scientifically an expert as you are.
1: Well, you live it. That's the most important thing. You apply it in your life. And that's what Ayurveda is, is the science of life. It's meant to be applied in your life, so it make it better. Uh, well, Ayurveda speaks about 18 categories of food compatibility, aside from Well, one of them is what to combine with what, right? Mm -hmm. But compatibility extends to, as you mentioned, the location, the geographical location, Desha is called in Sanskrit. So geographical location also involves the climate. So Mm -hmm. you mentioned you were in South India, you you went to visit your your family in South India. Now compare the climate of South India to New York. Mm -hmm. Very different, right? Mm -hmm. So if I wanted to eat South Indian food in the middle of the winter, that in New York City, that would be incompatible. Um, If I'm I'm really craving the South Indian flavors, I would use the spice combination with the ginger, the mustard seeds, the curry leaves, you know, those spice combinations. But I will make the food easy to digest in the location that I'm in. Maybe I'll use local Vegetables. Of course, mm-hmm. I use local vegetables. I'm not going to import South Indian vegetables. But uh, I would consider these. It's like, okay, let's make South Indian style uh, meal, but it will not be exactly the same way you eat it in South India because the ingredients are different, the climate is different, like that. Then another category is kala. Kala means time. And time can mean time of day time of, of year, like season. Um, it can mean also time in your life. So we all know our diets change as we go through different stages in our life.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: so when you eat is also important. And dosha is another category. So eating according to your dosha or your your body constitution, what's the predominant dosha in your body? And People, and this is where modern people, uh, modern Ayurveda gets very confusing. Because even yesterday, one of our service at the restaurant, she's really passionate about Ayurveda. And she's like, so I, I'm Pitta Kapha, so how do I eat for my dosha? Mm-hmm. And I said, it's very important to consider what your predominant dosha of your prakriti, your constitution is. But you have to consider what dosha is out of the balance right now for you.
0: So which is the vikruti.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: Okay, so, so Prakruti being the one at birth and Vikruti being as of right now.
1: Yeah, so this is a mistake people say. They, they would say, oh, I'm with Vata Pitta, so I have to eat Vata-balancing foods till the rest of my life. And when they get, let's say, they get the flu and they have coughing balance, they congested, they're coughing, you know, they feel heavy, sleepy, and they keep eating Vata-pacifying foods, it's not going to balance them. So it's very important. That's why in my books, both of my books, um, I explain the types of. So the next category is Agni, your, your digestive strength, your, mm-hmm. not not just digestive, but your metabolic strength as well. So if you have weak digestion, uh, then you need something a little more pungent, a little more sour to strength to increase your digestive fire, uh, and that becomes more important than your prakriti, <laughs> your dosha, mm-hmm. uh, because you have to work on the imbalance to bring you back to your original balance state. Uh, so it's not just eating for your dosha, it's eating to according to season, your strength of digestion. Another one that I really love is satmya. Satmya means the foods that you're accustomed to mm-hmm. since early childhood. So, for example, you tell me, what is one food that you're accustomed to eating since early childhood growing up in India that's not so common in the U.S.? What is one food in Well, I-,
0: I guess I would say eating the amount of times that I would eat rice or rice-based products.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. So your body is accustomed to digesting rice really well, and that's very prominent people eating in the South because that's where rice grows a lot. Now... Like somebody like me, I grew up in Bulgaria. We rice was not a big part of our diet. We had a lot of wheat. And wheat grows in more in cooler temperatures, cooler mm-hmm. climates. That's wheat can grow all over the world, but especially in the north. Even in India, you see North India they use a lot more roti. Or exactly. Flatbreads than rice. I mean, my body is trained to use eat rice. I love rice. I can digest it. But growing up, I didn't have a lot of rice. So for me, it's easier to digest wheat than rice. And when I when I get really stressed out, my comfort food is something baked or bread, something like that, something with wheat, because it immediately calms me down. That's my comfort food. And for you, probably your comfort food is related to some dish with rice.
0: Oh, absolutely. Any day, you know. Yeah, and- yeah, everything rice. Anything you name
1: rice. Right. So so for some people, for them it's easy to digest soy products, for others not, simply because they grew up with these foods and other people didn't. So glass noodles, it's not my satmya. It's not my it's not compatible with what my body is used to. And of course you can develop you can become accustomed to a food that you didn't grow up with. It usually takes about six months. So let's say you move to another country and you're trying to become accustomed to the local diet, it usually takes six months for the body to start fully digesting the local foods.
0: Because it is just recognizing something new that's coming in and it's yes. trying to adjust to it. Okay, so it's interesting and yeah, it's it's a topic of discussion that can be had for hours together. But definitely uh, for me, eating rice versus eating oats or quinoa or something. Mm -hmm. And one of my good friends in India, she is, um, you know, an integrative practitioner. She would always remind me, hey, it's not the oats that you need to go after. It's not the quinoa that you need to go after. And it's not even millets that you need to go after because that wasn't something that we were doing on a daily basis. So though the world recognizes some of these as superfoods nowadays, I think, you know, it just becomes very significant to eat what we were accustomed to. So what about world cuisine? Say, let's take Mexican cuisine. There's a lot of bean and cheese and things like that, right? So yeah. what would you say to that?
1: Yeah, so bean and cheese is another very heavy to digest combination. And it can be incompatible if for you if you have weak digestion. Uh, Yes, bean and cheese. I mean, even cheese and bread is very heavy to digest. Wheat and cheese, it's so delicious. I mean, we have the pizzas. Every culture has some kind of cheese and bread dish or bean and cheese. It is incompatible if you have weak digestion. That's why you have to be careful. And so let's say you eat bean and cheese dish and you feel so tired afterwards, as if your whole energy was drained from your body. Uh Uh-huh. So it's because all the energy goes in the stomach to break down this very heavy food that you just ate. That's an indication that that's not the right combination for you. But if you're a construction person and you're doing heavy physical work and you you use a lot of energy, then you'll be craving bean and cheese and you'll feel very happy.
0: So it's a matter of how much you're able to utilize whatever you have had. And it depends on the amount of activity that you're able to do, correct?
1: Yeah, it also depends on the portion. So I always tell my students, let's say you go to a dinner party and it's a very nice dinner and you see something that's incompatible, you know it will be very heavy for you. You can honor the the host by having like a, a couple of bites. You can have small amounts. So if you have... Smaller amount of incompatible foods, they will not affect you so much. And then the other solution that you mentioned earlier is the use of spices. So because spices have tremendous digestive properties, if you cook with a lot of spice, the incompatible foods will become less damaging. But why you have to know there is always a price to pay. You may not, have, you may not pay the price right away. Exactly. But the buildup from from not digesting fully incompatible foods, it starts to build up in the body. It can start hardening your arteries. It can start building around your waist area. And you're starting gaining weight there. Uh, It can build in your colon. Everybody who's done colonoscopy and seeing what comes out of the colon, (laughs) it's like, okay, that's the undigested food that you may have eaten years ago, that's mm-hmm. still, still stuck in there. And this undigested foods called ama, it can grow into ama visha, which is reactive, toxic ama, semi-digested food. That becomes the breeding ground for disease and inflammation. So when I tell people, people with chronic inflammation, I always tell them, you have to really pay attention to the combination of foods. Because if you're not digesting them, you're just perpetuating the inflammatory processes in your body. And when an inflammation becomes the breeding ground for very serious health problems. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: And uh, you pointed out very nicely, Divya, you have connected it all. And we talked about Indian cuisine, we talked about Mexican. And just to reiterate, Ayurveda need not necessarily be related to Indian cuisine alone, correct? The Ayurvedic principles can be incorporated and you can cook any type of world cuisine. And you coming from Bulgaria, I guess, you know, we can incorporate it into any kind of cuisine, correct?
1: Yeah, of course. See, one of the main principles of Ayurveda is using the local ingredients, the foods that grow locally. Mm-hmm. So Ayurveda it came from the land of India. Ayurveda gives very detailed descriptions of individual ingredients, herbs, what they look like, what is, what are their properties, etc. Authors of the Ayurvedic classical texts they describe the herbs and foods that were grown locally, right? They couldn't travel to Mexico mm-hmm. <laughs> <by> then. <laughs> So they and and examine quinoa, for example, like which grows in South America. Um, they couldn't travel to Bulgaria and examine the local herbs, they just described what was grown locally. In the same way with cuisine, one of the main precepts of Ayurveda is to use local food because it's grown locally. That food that uses the water that you drink, you know, the sun that that shines on you the climate the air that you breathe that food will be most compatible to you because body. it already
0: recognizes your body recognizes something that's coming in
1: yes exactly so so how do you use local foods and apply the ayurvedic principles you apply the ayurvedic principles of compatibility you can use local herbs like culinary herbs for example Um, And because of good transportation now, global transportation, we have access to all the Ayurvedic spices as well. So we have access to turmeric and to cumin and cardamom and cinnamon and all that. So we can use those as well. But you can create different flavors based on your local cuisine. And that's another compatibility that's so important. The satmya, remember? So you cannot force, let's say, somebody from Sweden, for example. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I live, live in Sweden, up north. Very heavy diet. They use a lot of heavy cream in their diet because it, it helps, helps them with the cold temperatures. But you cannot force somebody who grew up in Sweden to eat Indian food. You know, it's not their... It's not their they're not accustomed Mm -hmm. to it. Another category of compatibility is called hridya, palatability, something that you really like. So it can be the healthiest food for you, freshly prepared and everything. But if you don't like it, it's not going to be healthy Mm -hmm. for you. So you have to make um, local food tasty and approachable to people. And you can totally apply the Ayurvedic principles to any kind of cuisine. Okay.
0: And just to touch upon that fact or that example of Someone living up north trying to eat tropical. Say you mentioned South Indian food in, in the peak of winter in New York City. So what exactly is an alternative or how, how does anyone tweak living in a cold temperature trying to eat something which is, um, you know, perhaps their usual uh, traditional stuff, say
1: like a tropical type of food. The, let's go with the example for New York. In the middle of the winter, I'm not going to eat coconut, which is very typical for South India and, and the South in general. So coconut is very cooling. Mm-hmm. It produces coolness in the body, it cools you down. And in the winter, when it's so cold, you don't want to eat cooling foods unless you really heat it. Mm-hmm. So. Coconut is also heavy, so we need heavy foods in the winter. But if it's so cooling, then I'll wait for the summer when I really enjoy drinking coconut water, making coconut chutney, fresh coconut chutney, and making these beautiful coconut desserts. Um, oh yes! So I really enjoy that. But in the in the in the winter, it will be incompatible. And I, so vice versa. So in the middle of the summer. I'm not going to eat heavy stews, you know, the okay. heavy bean stew, something that's really heavy, grounding. No, we, we crave light foods in, in the summer, right? We enjoy fruits, we salads. We crave lighter foods because we don't feel eating heavy in the summer. Mm-hmm.
0: What about raw versus cooked food? And what about, say, sprouting? So,
1: again, raw food needs extra fire to be digested. If your digestion is weak, then you're not going to fully digest the raw food and get benefit of, benefit from all the nutrients that it has. So that's another thing. A lot of people have weak digestion. They eat raw foods and they feel terrible. They get more bloated. They feel ungrounded, not satiated like that. But if you have strong digestion, especially in the summer, raw food raw food is great. And then sprouting, so think about nature. When does everything begin to sprout? Spring. It's in spring, yeah. So sprouts are very light, they're very airy in nature. So the best time to eat sprouts is in spring, which is now. But um, they're also very airy, so they will aggravate your vata very much. That's why like I like to make mung bean sprouts, but I lightly sauté them first. With with a few spices. I I have a sprouted mung bean recipe in my new cookbook, Enjoy of Balance. But um, then it's easy to digest. It will not make you gassy. So if you're getting gassy and bloated after you eat, that's another indication that you're not digesting the food fully.
0: Okay. Okay. And again, anything you know. So what is the answer to anyone that says, hey, how do I even? You talked about whatever is called dosha, which is the body constitution, you know, which can be something that you were inherently born with versus what is the current state of affairs right now with someone's body. So how does someone identify what will really suit them? And how do they know whether they need more of the air element, whether they need more of the fire element, which is the pitta, and then the kapha, which is the earth, correct?
1: Earth and water, yeah. I mean, the best thing is to see an Ayurvedic doctor or practitioner, they check your balls, they examine you, and they can tell you exactly what's out of balance and what you need to do, what foods, what remedies, what exercise and all that. They can personalize um, all this for you. But that's kind of rare. Um, That's why I'm so passionate to help people learn self-awareness. To actually mm-hmm. stop and feel, okay, how do I feel right now? Am I cold? Am I, uh, am I hot? Do I feel heavy? Do I feel lightheaded? So by practicing self awareness and you connect to those elements in your body, then you can, then it, it's like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm not really hungry. It's time to eat lunch, but I'm not really hungry. What should I do? That's why I love teaching. So I've been teaching cooking classes for since we moved in New York, wow, 13 years now. And we just but then COVID happened and people couldn't come in person.
0: Oh, then the whole virtual world started.
1: Yeah, that's that's what happened.
0: Back in a moment with our guest on Fresh Leaf Forever.
1: We're just about to release five masterclass videos. They've professionally produced masterclass videos with learning materials, with um, visuals and all that. So I explain the doshas, especially in relation to food. I explain the different types of digestion and how to select the foods that are right for you right now and also right for the season. I have a class on seasonal cooking with Ayurveda. But then the fun part is how to actually do all of this in the kitchen because we can theorize, we can can speak about the theory of doshas and Ayurveda and all that, but we have to eat three times a day. And we have to, and many people don't know, it's like they even go to Ayurvedic doctors, they don't really know how to practically apply this in the kitchen. So this is where I come in. And I love teaching people. It's it's so simple. It, there's nothing mystical about Ayurvedic diet. Um, once you learn how to have this self-awareness, connect with where you're at right now, and then connect with the properties of food. So don't just look at food as rich in protein, carbs, and fat and all that look at the properties is it cold or hot is it light or heavy is it dry or moist so once you connect with these properties then you can always apply we call it the golden rule of balance the like increases like Mm -hmm. and, and you balance with the opposite so if you feel very cold and dry you need hot and most moist food and even if you just apply these properties And if you don't know how to combine and what ingredients to use, just eat something warm and something moist, you'll feel better. Exactly.
0: And Ayurveda, I just want to also emphasize here and get your thoughts on it too, Divya. We call it the knowledge of life. And it's something which is very natural and goes with the flow. You're talking about self-awareness and someone trying to be very mindful of what they do this is unlike a keto diet or a paleo diet or anything when you say ayurvedic diet it's not something that you or a set of people have come up with it is just that it's something which is very inherent which is very much in tune with the human existence correct
1: yeah exactly and ayurvedic diet really means a way of eating mhm and and something that it's not it it has to change it has to change Because it has to, you have to adapt your diet to your needs. So, the way you feel right now, and what do you need to adjust to feel better in terms of food? So, as we get older, our needs change. If we get sick, our needs will change. If you give birth, your needs change. Uh huh, obviously. (laughs) So, um, or if you travel a lot, or if you're, depending on what's going on in your life, your needs change. So you have to adapt, adjust the foods that you're eating to your needs. That That's what it means to eat Ayurvedically.
0: So it's the natural science which tells you how to live a harmonious life and how to be in sync with your body and be in harmony, correct?
1: Yeah, exactly. So be being aware of that and then... Making the decisions to flow with that harmony to to feel more aligned with what what you need right now. That's what Ayurveda teaches us. Mm-hmm. It's very yeah, I... personalized approach.
0: Okay, and the Ayur and the Veda, the component, you know, like brings all the integration of the body, mind, and soul. I guess, and that's where the yoga component comes into it.
1: Yeah, but I appreciate yoga very much. I've been practicing it for many years. What is
0: then be the advised to any family that tunes and listens to this show and says, okay, Divya, how do I make sure that whatever I cook is compatible for the man, woman, and the child in the household?
1: <laughs> yeah, that would be confusing because they all, they all have their individual needs, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> so, well, first of all, see, to... The other piece of Ayurvedic lifestyle and diet is that you need to learn a little bit. You have to have the basic knowledge of not just the doshas, but the six days of food. So I speak in great detail about connecting to foods through the six days. So foods that are sweet are building and nourishing foods. Foods that are bitter are cleansing food. So connecting with food through the six days understanding the symptoms of different types of digestion so that when you when you have acidity and heartburn, what do you eat? So you should know what, what acidity and heartburn f- feels like and what foods would be balancing for when you're experiencing this condition.
0: So you need something pacifying, soothing
1: Yeah, so you need to have a little bit of knowledge. So you have to learn the basics. And that's why I love writing books and teaching classes, because they give you the basics. You don't have Mm -hmm. to be an Ayurvedic practitioner. You just learn the basics. And these are life skills. They make so much sense that you can apply anywhere. So when you cook for a family, a simple way of doing it is, let's say the father is very pitta, he's very fiery, he doesn't need very spicy foods. The child is very kapha, they're growing, you know, they're a little chubby. <laughs> they, mm-hmm. love, they love sweets. And, and the mother is very vata. She's, she's very airy and mobile, running around all the time. So they all have three different constitutions. This is just a, an example. Um, what do you do? How do you make balancing foods? First of all, cook it seasonal. So use seasonal ingredients. Cook it according to the location. Make it really tasty. Make sure that they enjoy what they're eating. Make it fresh. Incorporate all six states of foods. So sweet, sour, salty, pungent, bitter, and stringent. You have a balance of the six states. And then, like, instead of putting chili in every dish, make it really spicy. Because your child cannot handle the chili. Mm -hmm. And your husband cannot handle too much chili. He's already so fiery. So... What I would do is I will make a sauce or a chutney, like a little side dish, and I'll put the chili in there and I'll make it spicy. So the family can have a meal that's not too spicy, but those who need the extra spice can just pour a little extra sauce on their food and make it spicier. And also you would recommend different portions for... Uh, of different items on the menu. So for example, the husband who is very pitta, he needs a bigger portion and heavier food. So I'll give him, I'm a vegetarian. I don't eat meat, but I'll give him like extra paneer cheese. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then, and then the child will need a a little, something a little lighter and a little bit of sweet because they crave sweets, but just a little bit, not too much cookies or cakes like that. So you can, you can adjust the portion and you can adjust the different tastes with different side dishes as well. Mm-hmm.
0: And spices mean spices for flavor. It doesn't have to mean eating hot and spicy. And...
1: Yeah, pungent. So spi- using spices will not always make your food pungent. Spices will make your food very flavorful, but not necessarily hot, spicy or pungent. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, and a lot of times there's misconception about Indian food that, oh, Indian food means it's hot. And yes, some restaurants tend to make it that way. And so people, I don't blame anyone because that's what they're used to when they go to restaurants. You know, they just see the cake. Whereas in my household, when I cook, I just use the spices for flavor because I really cannot handle the hot stuff. And
1: Yeah. And, you know, so... I meet a lot of people at Divi's Kitchen, at our restaurant, who, since early childhood, they ate a lot of chili. So I'm not like that. I cannot have a lot of chili, for example. I can handle a little bit of chili in one dish, and that's it. But I cannot handle very spicy. But there are people who put chili in everything. Oh, yes. If a dish doesn't have chili, for them, that dish is bland. Even though it's very flavorful, it has so many other spices... I find it absolutely delicious, but because there is no chili, they find it bland, and that's a very interesting phenomena uh, that I I have. That's why we, at the restaurant we have a hot sauce. <laughs> <laughs> you just you know, we will tell them this dish doesn't have any chili, but if you enjoy chili, here is the hot sauce for you. They may not need it, but they're just craving it because exactly.
0: Uh, again, probably since the time you know that they were. Little that they were so used to eating like that, right?
1: Yeah, but a lot of Westerners are not used to to a lot of chili in their diet. Also, it depends on the location. Again, you will see cultures that use a lot of chili and cultures that don't use so much chili. So it's, again, what is your body used to?
0: Mm -hmm. What about your own history and your struggle with an autoimmune condition? What would you say to someone that is wrestling with an autoimmune condition? What are some trigger foods that one would need to eliminate? And what about, say, we just talked about chilies and all of that. Would that be a taboo for people with autoimmune conditions? And what about dairy?
1: Well, it's so individual because you have to find the cause of the autoimmune. There are different mm-hmm. types of autoimmune conditions. So you have different, caused by different things. When I had my autoimmune I struggled to find the deep cause for it. And I found it. That's why I was able to get rid of it. My cause was asymptomatic infected root canal teeth. So I had like three of them. And there was no symptoms in my mouth. Nothing really showed up on the x-ray. And then I, I was praying and, you know, please, I need help. I started learning more about root canal and holistic dentistry and all that. And when we actually extracted the teeth, they were so infected. You could mm-hmm. see the infection on the roots and everything. There were cysts. But it didn't show in the x-ray. I didn't have any pain in my mouth. But all the symptoms were, were in the rest of my, of my body. So that was the root cause, literally, for my infe- uh, autoimmune. And once we get rid got rid of these infections, then my body gradually rebalanced itself. There can be so many causes. So find the cause first. In the meantime, while you're recovering or still struggling to find the cause, you have to really eat a diet that's anti-inflammatory diet. So I stopped eating nightshades, like the potatoes, peppers, eggplants <laughs> and and tomatoes. And that's so popularly called the nightshades. Nightshades, yeah. So it gave me a relief. I definitely found it just made me feel better, even though it didn't eliminate the cause. Like the Incompatible foods, even if they're not inflammatory by nature, it can cause inflammation because you're not digesting them fully. So, for some people, inflammation is triggered by dairy. I mean, we can have we can speak about dairy for so long because the quality of the dairy can is very important. Um, but for some, not some people, trigger uh, inflammation is triggered by gluten foods goodness food. Some some people not. So you have to, it's, a, it's very individual. You have to find out what's that for you. And what's the deep cause? Not just the food, but what's really causing this condition?
0: Mm-hmm. And how do you, in your case, how did you identify that deep cause? Was it something that told you, okay, go to an Ayurvedic practitioner or what was it that helped you?
1: No. So the Ayurvedic practitioner, see, that's one, I don't want to say weakness, but the limitation. Ayurvedic practitioners don't look at your teeth in terms of possible causes of problems in the teeth, right? And the dentist didn't see anything. It, everything showed up when I did a scan. But to get to the scan, I did bioresonance analysis. I, I have a very good therapist here in New York City. And bioresonance kind of reads the frequencies in your body and she kept telling me i went to her several times and she kept telling me you have really bad infection in your teeth and i'm like i don't feel anything so i went to the dentist and i said hey can you can we do a scan because the bioresonance keeps keep saying that (laughs) and when he looked at the scan he was like oh wow we have to extract these teeth immediately it's so bad so and then next time I go to him, he's like, "So what does the bioresonance say?" <laughs> <laughs> so, so was it like a special type of scan, or was it any routine scan? No, it's that- just like a CT scan. They do your whole jaw, um, and so that that helped me to determine the cause. And I have to be honest with you, I was doing the Ayurvedic protocols, but they were not helping me much because we were not addressing the deep cause, and the Ayurvedic doctors were not they didn't ask me about my dental history. They didn't go there. And for me, that was the cause. So again, you know, I i believe in inner guidance. Exactly. <laughs> you know, divine... something
0: that led you to even that bioresonance.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. So technique. that divine guide, guidance in your heart that we all experience. Um, and I, um, I'm just very grateful that I listened to it. Mm-hmm.
0: And cooking fresh all already seems a challenge. So how can one map their cooking process to achieve best results? What is the prep work that needs to happen for someone to be able to cook for harmonious living and eating and to be able to eat fresh meals and feed their family?
1: Well, one of the biggest shockers when I speak and teach is, like, no leftovers, <laughs> And people are like, how is that possible? And um, there is a lot of resistance to that. It's
0: like, and probably no microwave as well.
1: Oh yeah, no microwave for sure. Because see, Ayurveda doesn't just speak about the physical components of the fact of the effects of food. Ayurveda speaks about the vibrational potency of food. So it's the energy that you bring into your body through the food, not just the physical components of it. And um, so microwave really kills the vibration. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It doesn't, it it looks like food physically, but vibrationally, energetically, it's not supporting you. Um, Then in terms of leftovers, they're practical, but they're very leftover food. Once you cook the food, especially with fat, with oil or ghee, once you cook the food and then you refrigerate it, and then you reheat it, that food becomes very hard to digest, especially food that has fat in it. And so what happens is gradually we leftover foods weaken our digestive system. And then we don't digest the food, and then we go into the inflammatory cycle <laughs> that we talked about. So it's
0: about. a vicious cycle at that yeah. point. Yeah.
1: So in the, in the masterclass videos, which we're – just releasing, um, by the time you listen to this episode, they should be out. If you go to devious, Devious devious.com, you'll see them. I have a whole video about setting up your Ayurvedic kitchen and time saving tips because you can totally prepare fresh meals every day. You just have to reorganize your schedule. For example, on Sunday, let's say you're used to cooking few meals on Sunday, like for the next three days. What you could do is you could do all the prep. Mm-hmm. So you can peel and chop your vegetables, make your spice blends, make paneer cheese or almond milk, whatever staples you're using, which I also teach how to make. Uh, I show you how to make in the masterclass. So you can do all the prep, and a lot of time actually goes into prepping. <laughs> so once all the elder prep is done, You just have to just put it in the pot and cook it so it it can take 10 minutes 15 minutes depending on what you're cooking could take half an hour but it's also much easier Uh, you can start your kitchen go do something else and come back 20 minutes later and it's ready like that so instead of cooking you can do all the prep Uh, organizing your kitchen can save you a lot of time properly. So I, I teach in the masterclass, I teach how to properly organize your kitchen so that you can flow in it better and you can get mm-hmm. a lot more efficient and this will save you time. But it's you have to first change your perspective. You have to change in the mind first. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, I treat cooking as like a mindfulness exercise, you know, as my, you know, like time where I can kind of unwind and enjoy something. You know, people tend to believe in spending hours in the gym, whereas, yeah. you know, like when it comes to this itself is a great exercise. Other than that, take a walk out in the nature, you know, right? Enjoy yeah. as much as you can.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, we waste so much time on the, just browsing the internet. Mm-hmm. It's like sucks us in. It's like then oh, I don't have time to cooking, but I just spend one hour just browsing the internet and doing nothing. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They, Shifting the priorities, changing the perspective. Uh, for example, some of my culinary students, they go on to become private chefs after they do our certification culinary training. And they, they, they'll call me because they're struggling. They get a client and the client wants them to just prepare meals for the next three days and just eat leftovers three days. And I'm like, what's the point? You're hiring a private chef. Let them cook fresh food for you. <laughs> 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 Otherwise, it, they just, they're like, I'm really struggling because I have to cook the food, put it in containers in the fridge and leave. And so the client is paying so much money for a private chef to make. And, and then on top of it, they keep eating leftovers. So, it, but that's what they want because they don't know the reason of why eating fresh food is important.
0: Yeah, well, and uh, I really want to talk about menstrual issues, the root cause of it all, uh, Divya, and maybe I have to invite you back on the show because I think that can be a topic of discussion by itself. But just before we finish here, what about onion and garlic? What about their healing properties versus why sattvic eating does not or is not a big proponent of use of onion and garlic.
1: Yeah. um, So (laughs) that's another big, huge resistance I meet from um, people and this, and also from the Ayurvedic community, even Ayurvedic doctors, they would say that's bogus. (laughs) You should eat onion and garlic every day. And I stopped eating onions and garlic, what, 33 years ago when I joined the Bhakti Yoga Ashram. So I stopped eating it initially for spiritual reasons because my yoga mentors told me that avoiding these two foods makes your mind more peaceful, and it's true. (laughs) You're less agitated. And with yoga, you try to meditate and create inner peace. Um, But then when I met Vaidya Mishra, he, in the Shakavansya lineage, we don't cook with onions and garlic. We only use them as medicinal foods. So Ayurveda categorizes foods in many different ways and one way food is categorized is food for daily consumption and medicinal foods for occasional use. I speak in detail about this in my new cookbook. So the Shakavansi lineage of Ayurveda, which I'm part of, considers onions and garlic to be medicinal foods for occasional use. They have very powerful medicinal properties Mm-hmm. Um, they can be good for so many things, uh, but because they're so strong, they have to be used occasionally, only when you need them to counteract an imbalance.
0: Because they can also kill the good bacteria in your body, correct? Yeah. Right? With yeah, constant use,
1: yeah. If they, especially if they're especially if they're raw. What, the main one of the main reasons Vadimich told us to avoid them, onions and garlic, is because they can deplete the friendly bacteria in the gut. They also can cause a lot of gut inflammation. A lot of people are reacting to onions and garlic and they don't know it. A friend of mine recently, she, she's a professional chef, and she was telling how, and she was very much against onions and garlic, but she met uh, Dr. Teidelbaum, who is another Ayurvedic doctor here in, uh, in uh, New Jersey, the Shakavansi lineage. So Dr. Teidelbaum convinced her to stop eating onions and garlic, and within two weeks, her gut inflammation, it completely went away. And she realized it was caused by the onions and garlic because she didn't change anything else. So again, it can be inflammatory, can help inflammation, but it can cause, it can also cause inflammation depending on what the condition is. I, I don't like the taste of onion and garlic, but sometimes I would use the dry garlic, like the capsules, I would use the aged garlic, especially if I'm fighting parasites or something that I need to clear from my gut. I would use it as medicine, Um, Mm -hmm. or if if I get really bad flu or something and I need to something very pungent to (laughs) reduce the phlegm and all that, I might use a little bit of garlic. But I, I don't use it all the time. And and people, you know, people are so funny. Like especially when I'm in the restaurant. I, I would be just cruising around the the dining room and meet our guests and I would, they would say, wow, you're so peaceful. And I'm like, well, I mean, I practice meditation and all that, but I also don't eat onion garlic. and you know, garlic <laughs> because the onion, they're very stimulating foods. They, uh, they increase your temperament as well. Anyway, it's up to you. It, I always tell people it's up to you, but If you're having certain issues, especially if your pitta is very high, you're very fiery, They try, just try it for a couple of weeks and see if you feel better. If you feel better, then onions and garlic are medicinal foods for occasional use for you. Okay,
0: perfect. And what about Bhagavad Life? The certification programs, cooking classes, workshops, and whatever is coming out, the new cookbook, Joy of Balance and Ayurvedic Guide to Cooking with Healing Ingredients. And I guess the workshops with Bhagavad Life include anything from writing, Enneagram, yoga, sound bath?
1: Yeah, so Bhagavad Life is our nonprofit school, and we've been teaching cooking classes and our Ayurvedic nutrition and culinary training for many years now. Right now, we're not offering any live classes uh, because we focused on releasing the master classes, which you can purchase at a great discount <laughs> right mm-hmm. now and purchase and view uh, in, in at your own time uh, so I would if you'd like to study with me to learn from me I would recommend starting with the master classes available at devious.com and if you jo- if you follow us on Instagram or join our, our newsletter we'll let you know when we'll be teaching in-person classes and offering the culinary training has been so successful we, we have, I don't i don't even know how many people, probably over 60 people on the wait list for the next one. And we can only take 45. So they're very popular programs. Uh, but uh, watching the masterclasses will be a very good start because it, I spend a lot of time creating this very systematic uh, presentation for Ayurvedic cooking. And I think it will be very helpful for everybody who watches it. And um, we also have uh, fantastic products. Which mm-hmm. um, My goal is to help make Ayurvedic food accessible to people. So we have these Kitri products, they're packaged Kitri um, pantry products. And so if you're kind of intimidated, intimidated with what spices should I use and how do I cook this, and I want to learn how to make Kitri, what we did is we take the grains and the lentils, we wash them, we soak them, and we dehydrate them again. So, and then we mix them with appropriate spices for different doses. So you can actually pour it in hot water and come back 20 minutes later and you have a fresh hot meal ready without much, much difficulty. And we have soup products. We have sauces. Um, they're completely fresh, organic, and really easy to fix a meal together with them.
0: Okay, perfect. And any other, I can definitely include the link in the show notes and anything else that you want to add, Divya. Here in terms of your contact information and any closing thoughts from you.
1: No, thank you. Well, if you come to New York City, please come visit us. Everybody who's listening, we'd love to meet you at Divya's Kitchen. I would love to experience the food. We can talk so much about food, right? But you have to taste it and experience it in your own body. See how this kind of food that makes you feel. And I guarantee you, will feel very nourished, whether you follow my recipes, um, in my cookbooks, whether you are the cooking classes, or you just come to Divya's Kitchen, you will feel deeply nourished and you will feel like, wow, this food is not just tasty. I feel kind of my body tissues are just soaking it all up. And that's what food is meant for. It's meant for deep nourishment and satisfaction.
0: Oh, very well said, Divya. And Divya's Kitchen, I know, offers a unique menu based on one's constitution. So I guess how one can figure what might work best for them uh, while having a meal there. I'm sure there are many people there to counsel and Give them the best advice and including Divya. Thank you so much for joining me and the listeners on the show. and such a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Vai. You're so nice to talk to. I really enjoyed speaking with you. Oh, thank you.
0: And definitely please come back sometime to talk about menstrual issues and the root cause of it all and how food can be a healer there.
1: Thank you. Yeah, I would be honored to.
0: Okay, Listeners, as always, follow the podcast, leave a review from your podcast app of choice, and follow me on Instagram at YP Kumar for all things digital media and lifestyle. Until next time with another interesting guest, this is Y saying so long.